Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. We interrupt our program to bring you this important message. This is Leprechaun Lunch, powered by First State Bank, on Sports Radio 960 AM, WSBT. How's things? How's everybody? Happy Friday. It's a home game weekend, like a real home game weekend, too. Like, we, none of us have to, you know, go hop on a plane and head out to Las Vegas or anything like that. We get to get drunk in our own yards. It is Leprechaun Lunch. Welcome to it. I'm Jim Irizarry. It is powered by First State Bank, locally owned and operated. Also brought to you by Edward Jones, making sense of investing. Contact Sean Stevens in South Bend or Bob Borlick in North Liberty. And also by Four Winds Casinos. Your entertainment escape must be 21 years old. Please play responsibly. So, the Irish are on a little bit of a win streak, huh? Look good against a, a number 16th ranked uh, BYU team, quite honestly. Looked a lot better than I thought uh, a lot of people thought that they would. A lot of people uh, saw that the Irish were, you know, three and a half to uh, four point favorites yet uh, last week. And they were kind of jumping on uh, jumping on the underdog bandwagon there for a second. Huh. Funny how that goes. But, um... So yeah, the Irish, you know, coming off BYU, heading home, a little bit of an easier task, I guess, this week. <laughs> Stanford, you know, where 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 the Irish are on a uh, are on kind of a uh, an, an upward trend. Stanford, um, <sighs> did you happen to watch any of that any of that Oregon State game, any of that Oregon State Stanford game last weekend? Did you, did you stay up late for that? I felt like that knocked the wind out of me. <laughs> like that's how that's how much that hurt. That knocked the wind out of me to watch uh, to watch Stanford get just run like that. Quite honestly, so how does a team how does a team like get up from the mat on on something like that? Consistently, too. Going to be talking with uh, with Ben Parker. He's the publisher of CardinalSportsReport.com on the uh, on the Rivals.com network, and you know we're 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 going to touch on. I I recorded this interview yesterday, by the way, just for you know full disclosure. Um, we're we're gonna we're gonna touch on you know th- there's there's some interesting facts about. Just how long it's been since uh, since Stanford beat an FBS school? Stanford. We're, we're talking about Stanford, okay? <laughs> what the hell happened to this school? Still, according to Marcus Freeman, we cannot look past them. Well, I think, listen, the, the, you, the record and the scores do not reflect the team you see. And, and um, 
they're a talented team. Again, as you look at the the Oregon State game and and they're up in the fourth quarter and 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 lose by that touchdown at the very end of the game. And and they're a team that that is running the ball extremely hard. Um, you know, they got big long receivers offensively, quarterbacks making good decisions. You see the freshman come in and, and do some different things with his feet. Um, you know, so they're they're gonna be an offense that that that's extremely hard to defend. They're, they're running the RPO really, really effectively right now. And so um, the defense will have their work cut out for them off, uh, defensively. You know, they're again, they are a, a physical football team. Um, you know, we've had some things kind of not go their way defensively, but, you know, they're a team that plays physical, plays downhill, um, that, that's going to do some different things to present some issues for our offense. And so they're, they're a very talented team, well coached. Um, I've always respected the job that Coach Shaw has done um, coaching his team, and this team is no different. And so our guys know that we got a huge challenge coming up um, on Saturday night, you know, a rivalry game. They'll be extremely motivated. And, uh, you know, our guys have been preparing for the challenge. Yeah, Stanford's going to be motivated just from the fact that uh, I got to – like all has not been well in Stanford land for quite some time now. And, yes, David Shaw is just – basically the perfect Stanford alum, all right? Uh, he is that school. Like, he's woven himself into the fabric of that school. And the way the, the last, well, barring the COVID year, the last, you know, five seasons or so have not uh, even been above 500. And it's not to say that David Shaw is a bad coach. He's not. Out of 143 games that he's coached so far, he's won 94 of them. Sure, he took over for Harbaugh, but he had enough time to to put in his own system too with that with those 94 wins. David Shaw isn't a bad coach, but you you got to imagine that this is going to be a team playing inspired because that seat's got to be getting a little, at least a little bit uncomfortable. You would imagine, right? Again, we'll talk uh, we'll talk more about that with uh, with Ben Parker from CardinalSportsReport.com uh, coming up in the next segment. Um, so, Marcus Freeman. What do you think of your team's identity through five games? Again, hopefully we're O-line, D-line driven, you know, and what does that mean is that you're a team that can run the ball um, with with some consistency, which hopefully entails the ability to throw it, you know, and, and, and the ability to – you know, make the defense be aggressive in terms of stopping a run that open up some 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 zones in the pass game. And then and defensively it still starts with stopping the run. And and it's not it's not a, a yardage. It's not a how many yards the offense gain running the ball. It's a mentality of hey, we cannot let a team just run the ball um, down our throats. We have to be able to stop the run and then in terms of try to make them throw the ball to have success against us. Ah yes, the defense gotta that's gotta be you know, even even with Stanford being one and four, their offense pretty good actually. There's some talent on that offense. Here's Al Golden talking about that offense. So um, I mentioned it really long at wideout. So really long at wideout, big in the slot. Uh, they got a really good quarterback that can stand down there and see. Um, big strong uh, offensive line with a halfback that can not only run it but can beat you out of the backfield. Uh, and I really like the tight ends a lot. Uh, I think the tight ends, you know, they caught some long ones on us a year ago. And, uh, you know, I, you know, they're averaging 29, 30 points a game. So it's going to be another, another big challenge for us Saturday night. Indeed it is. So I think, I think Notre Dame's defense is certainly up for this challenge. Going to be, a, you know, like they've, they've, they've had to have challenges against uh, plenty of, you know, Ohio State. I think they faced that challenge great. Um, I think even though they gave up, you know, a, a high amount of points, definitely. But North Carolina, they they played, they got they got the big stops when they needed to get the big stops against North Carolina, and you saw it against BYU. Sure, BYU came back in the game, but they got the big stops when they needed 
to get them. Al Golden, how do you see your defense? Well, I think we're tough. Um, you know, I, I, I think we try to be consistent, but we have had letdowns. And if we can just fix some of those letdowns that are, you know, creating the explosive plays, and some of those calls are on me. Some of those I got to put our our guys in a better position, uh, including last week with 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 Mick on, on the 53 yard. I mean, I got to I got to have a better call. We got to coach it better, and uh, you know, I just we, I failed him. I put him in a bad position in that spot, and uh, you know, it hurt the team. So. We got to do it. We, we overall, we just have to be consistent every play, and uh, you know, if, if we feel like we can't execute something, then throw it out, and uh, that's what we got to do moving forward. Consistency has to be the key. However, they haven't been able to throw out kind of like the most consistent lineup lately on the defense. You had Jacob Lacey leave uh, leave the program, going to the transfer pro, uh, portal uh, before BYU. And now you're also losing a team captain in Bo Bauer. He hurt his knee, blew out his knee. He's done for the season. Here's Marcus Freeman on that. Yeah, Bo will be out for the year. Um, sustained a knee injury in practice on Tuesday, which is uh, devastating just because he's a captain and provides so much, you know, more than just production, just the energy, the um, the ability to, to motivate our, our players, it's going to be a tremendous loss for us. So he's out for the year. That's a bigger loss than 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 Lacey leaving the program, quite honestly. Like Lacey's playing time had been gradually going down as, as the season went on. Uh, Bo Bauer's been there. He, he's He's been a big part on special teams. He's been a big part in uh, in the linebacking rotation. How do you replace that guy? How do you replace a team captain like Bo Bauer? Yeah, I would think for sure you'll see uh, more Prince Kali, who played really, really well um, last game. And he's a guy that we want to continue to try to get on the field more. Um, Junior, uh, you know, I think we'll see more of Junior, too. Um, I think you'll see him play in a couple of different packages and, uh, you know, increase his role, too. As far as Jalen, you know, it's still two to be determined. You know, he's continuing to get better. Um, you know, don't see him right now uh, being a part of the, the defensive package yet for this game, but um, he, he's, you know, going to have the opportunity, hopefully, as the year goes on, to be able to try to play some more. There was something that uh, that I thought Bo Bauer really did, uh, did pretty well, and that was provide a nice little spark of speed to the, uh, to the linebacking core. So, uh, you know, how, how does Marcus Freeman see the uh, just the basic pass rush go? Yeah, we have to get four man pass rush. If you have to blitz guys to to get pressure on the quarterback, then then um, you're, you're going to put your defense at a disadvantage. And so, um, I, I, are we improving? Yes. Are we at the standard or the level that we need to be at? No. We have to continue to improve. And and I know Coach Wash has worked entirely to to you know put those guys in positions where we can create more pass rush pass rush in terms of are we going to go straight are we going to run some different games and stunts and, and who's our best pass rusher just continuous evaluation of putting guys in positions that they can have success on rushing the quarterback um as far as batted balls we got to listen we got to continue to preach it we got to practice it more and in, in in hopes that um in return the game you'll have some some pass deflections that's an important part of playing defense is be able to disrupt the ball um no matter if you're if you're not able to sack the quarterback back or truly get a hit on him you got to be able to try to bat some balls down that's an area we got to improve that saw a lot of batted balls last night again watching the uh washington bears game <sighs> if you happen to miss that game by the way you, you don't need to go back and see it. It, it just don't cause yourself that much pain uh so all the you know a lot of attention being being paid to the defense you know with, with certainly good cause in there too um like I said, you've got a team captain being lost for the year. A little bit more shuffling on, uh, you know, of uh, of of the deck chairs a little bit, but uh, it's not like it's the Titanic here, because that offense that offense is going to keep getting better as it has been the last. Uh, oh, let's say you know, let's see from the Cal game through North Carolina, through the BYU game. 
it's been getting pretty good. Drew Pine's getting more and more comfortable uh, getting back in the pocket and, uh, and, and getting rid of the ball and not making mistakes, too. And Marcus Freeman had something to say about Drew Pine as well. Well, it's, it's very infectious, Pete. It, it's, you know, Drew Pine has never lacked confidence. And um, now that you're adding the execution with it, um, that, that confidence can be infectious and towards the whole, whole team and the entire team. And you know what? It's even more infectious maybe when things go bad, you know, when things aren't going your way. The, the confident quarterback that everybody believes in is now the one saying, hey, everything's going to be OK, you know, and then when you do have success, he's the one saying continue to pile it on. This is the way we play. And so it's really good to see you now have some of the the execution and production to go along with the confidence that Drew Pine has always had. Um, and that's what you want out of your quarterback. So there we are. There's uh, there's. Pretty much the basics on what you need to know here, like you'll be able to go back to a. Uh, Back to the office, you know, if if you are working in an office. <laughs> I, I, I know that I come into the radio station for this, but I'm working mostly at home and have been for the last two years, and it's driving me crazy. But um, you're going to be able to hang in that Zoom call, that Friday afternoon Zoom call that, uh, you know, nobody really wants to be a, be in, so the subject quickly changes from what it's supposed to be about to something completely different, you'll be able to hang now. There you go. Uh, coming up, going to talk with uh, with Ben Parker from CardinalSportsReport.com. Full disclosure, did uh, did record this uh, yesterday afternoon, so, uh, you know, if it sounds like a little different sound quality, that's kind of why. It was in my office at home. Technology is great, by the way. Also, coming up tomorrow uh, during our pregame coverage, of course, uh, the pregame coverage getting underway at 1 o'clock tomorrow afternoon with the uh, replay of the Marcus Freeman Show. Following that, Legacy Heating and Air Game Day, continuing its 50th anniversary here on WSBT with uh, with myself and, and Tim Growl. We'll be out at East Street Commons across from Five Guys broadcasting live. Uh, right now, as far as as far as guests go, we've got former Notre Dame Consensus All-American, two-time national championship, and NFL defensive back Luther Bradley. We've got Mike Townsend, the team captain from the 1973 national championship team. We've got Reggie. Reggie's going to be with us, plus whoever else is stopping into town, quite honestly. It's going to be fun. Join us. Uh, out at Eddie Street Commons for uh, for Legacy Heating and Air Game Day, starting at two o'clock, running two until four. After that, we've got Game Day Sports Beat, powered by Michelob Ultra. Darren Pritchett and uh, Tyler Horka will have that for you. Tyler Horka, of course, from BlueAndGold.com. They'll be breaking things down. And then the uh, the Notre Dame Radio Network takes over at six thirty. We've got the game, and then after the game, the official Notre Dame football post game show with myself and Reggie Brooks. So. A good long day of, uh, of I think, some pretty good football. I think this game's going to be a lot better than than uh, a lot of people are letting on. Uh, but, uh, you know, at, at least the first half. Let's go with the first half. Let's go, let's go with the first half. Let's go with that. So uh, more on the game coming up. More on the Stanford perspective of things anyway. Uh, coming up with Ben Parker from CardinalSportsReport.com. Here on Leprechaun Lunch, powered by First State Bank on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Jim Rizzari with Leprechaun Lunch, powered by First State Bank. Being joined right now by Ben Parker. He is the publisher and what seems to be a very busy guy uh, <laughs> publishing the uh, the Cardinal Sports Report at cardinalsportsreport.com, part of the Rivals Network. Ben, how are you? Doing good. Great to be here. Excellent. Uh, so it's Notre Dame and Stanford, which there's a lot of history in uh, in in between these two programs, really. Uh, you know, it's it's one of those series that goes back, you know, into the 20s, you know, as far as when they first started playing each other. Um, both teams kind of going in opposite directions. Uh, what, uh, what, is, what is your take on, on Stanford football in general? Where, where, is, where are they going exactly? 
Yeah, it's a great question that a lot of people want the answer to, and not a lot of people know the answer to that question in terms of where the where the finale of this is going to be. Right. Um, you know, right now, you know, they're coming. They were, you know, off coming into this season, they came off a very rough uh, three nine season last year, um, and they were hoping to flip the script this year. Um, but now they're one and four, uh, with their only win being against Colgate. Uh, so they haven't beaten an FBS school since their win over number three Oregon last season, um, which was in early October. So it's it's wow. been a while um, since they've won an FBS game. So uh, you know they're 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 hoping that. They can they can find some magic in a bottle, lightning in a bottle, and get a win here at Notre Dame, and that will spark something. Um, but it's a program that's on the decline right now, and and, and desperately looking for answers. So um, it's it's a it's been a very interesting and rough time for them, to say the least. What. Uh... What what's the cause of that? Is it is it a recruiting thing? Or are they just not being you know? Is it the old academic standards? Do, you know, don't let us go out and get the guys that we want. Is it uh, nobody just wanting to go to Stanford? Everybody you know, everybody sees USC in the Pac twelve and think that's the sexier option. You know what what is it? Why why are you, isn't anybody going to Stanford? Yeah, so it's not been a really a recruiting problem. There's a few there's a few issues here. So. Number one, you know, I, I was looking back at the last time Stanford had a decent, like, good team. You know, they were, they win like uh, I think it was nine and four. You know, mm-hmm. they they've been better than nine and four before, but that was like their last like solid good Stanford team. Right, and that was the year Bryce Love was there as running back, and so they haven't had an elite running back since him. So that's one thing that I think you can look at is since they've lost, since Bryce Love has moved on they've regressed. So that's one thing. They haven't had an elite back. And that's something that, as you know, has been a real staple of Stanford teams over the years. Bryce Love, Tyler Gaffney, Christian McCaffrey, uh, Toby Gearhart, right? So that's one thing. Um, second thing is the defensive line has really, really regressed. Um, and if you watch them play, they, they've, gotten, they've gotten better as the season has gone on, but they're still very vulnerable up front. And, um, the recruiting at the defensive line position in particular has been really weak um, over the last three to four years, which I think has made a lot of people rightfully question uh, whether or not defensive line coach Dion Reynolds is the answer there. Um, and then there were also a couple uh, few years, you know, I, don't, I don't know, guys that are still on the team, a couple recruiting classes back, that just weren't as strong as they would like it to be. Um, and the most recent one they had was for 2022 was that the strongest they'd had in a little while. Um, and the reason for that, I think was, uh, there's some changes they made at the administration level, um, in terms of allowing early enrollees, um, which they think is going to help them out. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, the academic standards are always there. It's not very easy to get into Stanford, but the university administration is pretty friendly in terms of, getting guys in that are that they're able to get in. So I don't think it's really an admissions issue. Um, a lot of it has more to do with just having had that elite back and defensive line has just really like oh, taken a nosedive. So those are kind of things I would point to. Is that uh, is that as a result of just like just like they just gotta go out and get better recruiters? Like they gotta get you know, kind of some overturn on the on the coaching staff. What 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 do you think needs to happen in in order to fix that? Yeah, so I've been talking to some people that are pretty. I've been talking to you know some former players and things, and um, t- two things that they that they really would like to see. You know, is one get a new defensive line coach. They feel like the current defensive line coach Dino Reynolds just isn't getting it done, mm-hmm. um, and they would like to see a change there. Um, and then also too, you know, David Shaw for the longest time has called has called his own plays. Has been a play caller, um, and there's a lot of people that would like to see him relinquish those duties, um, and then and then get an offensive coordinator that's more innovative um, and creative than the current one they have in Tabita Pritchard, um, who uh, you know is you know, pretty much more or less kind of just does whatever Shaw wants him to. So I, I think those are two things that I think if if Shaw was willing to do, and whether or not he was willing to do that remains to be seen. He had, so far hasn't been, but if he was willing to actually go out and get a better defensive line coach and then get a more innovative offensive coordinator, um, 
I, I think that would make a lot of people happy, and those would be welcomed changes that actually might um, improve the state of the team. So, but we'll, we'll see if he's actually willing to do that or not. So far, he hasn't. Leprechaun Lunch on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Jim Rizzari being joined by Ben Parker from uh, the Cardinal Sports Report, cardinalsportsreport.com, part of the Rivals Network. Um, can can I talk about uh, the uh, the Oregon State game, or do like do, does your eye start twitching at the at the mere mention of it? Oh, I'm 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 over it. You can talk to me about it. I'm cool. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> how does that happen at the end of the game? How how is nobody covering him? How how is the tackle missed that badly? How does Oregon State win that game? Yeah, so there's a couple things there. So, uh, you know, I was talking to defensive coordinator Lance Anderson yesterday about that. And, uh, you know, I mean, he didn't really have a good explanation for it other than, say, on that last sequence. I mean, it was very much the play that, he brought up, which came to my mind as well, was Stephon Diggs' amazing catch against the Saints a couple years back with the Vikings, right? Oh, yeah, um, the Minneapolis miracle, yeah. The, the Minneapolis miracle, right. That's exactly what that was. Um, it was the Minneapolis miracle, only it happened on, on the farm involving Oregon State and Stanford. <laughs> um, I mean, uh, I, I think what, what, what happened there, I mean, to some extent, you know, you got to give Oregon State credit for making that throw, making that catch, making that play. Um, you know, uh, Patrick Fields, it just, it was a situation where two guys were out of position that shouldn't have been, but they were. Um, and I, I also think too, it's a situation where in hindsight, Lance didn't mention this, but that's a case where you, you gotta just, you gotta make a pass interference play. You gotta do whatever you can to break up that play. No one went for the PI. Nobody, if you're out of position like that, you gotta get a pass interference. Yeah. Um, and at least give up a no, no, don't give up a touchdown. Better give up a 15 yard flag, or you know, than a touchdown. So, right. Um, and I think the frustrating thing there is, is that involved two of their better defenders. They've been raving about Ethan Bonner all year, um, and his speed and, and what kind of season he's going to have for them. And he didn't look like it there. Um, and then Patrick Fields was the was the MVP of the Alamo Bowl last year for Oklahoma, and he didn't make the play. So, I mean, those are two of their better guys not making a play. But I, I don't think that play in and of itself is the only reason they lost that game. Um, I mean, the previous touchdown at Oregon State maybe was on, was like, was on like a fourth and eight. Mm-hmm. And it was just a phenomenal throw to the corner of the end zone. I mean, props to Oregon State for that touchdown, the previous one. Uh, just threading a needle. I don't know how yeah. he made that throw. Well, that um, was an amazing And throw. then the other thing, yeah, I mean, so you got to give him credit. And then the other you got to give the Beavers some credit there. Give them their due. It's not all about Stanford blowing it. And then I, I also think, too, I think going back to the last Stanford offensive drive, they were clearly, and this is something David Shaw gets, gets, a, lot of, gets a lot of heat for a lot of times. Stanford fans complain about this. And this reared its ugly head here was they were just way too conservative in their play calling that last drive. It was clear that they were not going for a touchdown. And they were just trying to just they were just trying to ice the game away. Mm-hmm. Um, and on a third and four, they take Tanner McKee out and bring in Ashton Daniels at quarterback. So that completely telegraphed a run. And so Oregon State was able to just stack up the box and blitz the hell out of him and, and, and get the stack. And that chewed up a bunch of clock and forced a field goal, but it's like you gotta drop something better on that third and four. Um and yeah, they made the field goal, but the way their defense has been, I'm not sure that's a defense you can really trust. So, um, yeah, I almost have more of an issue really with the offensive drive than I did that last play. Last play was fluky and mistakes were made sure, but that they, the, the offense did not do them any favors there. Yeah, those were, those were the type of play calls where, I look at them at any level of, of football, you know, whether, whether it's a whether it's a pro game or another college game or you know, like even a high school game even. And when it's just clear that, you know, the other team is trying to ice the game a little bit and then they start trying to outsmart everybody, you know, like the coach is just like, well, mm-hmm. like, you know, I'm going to be the smartest guy in the room with this play. Uh, that stuff drives me crazy. Quite honestly, and and I've seen you know, I've got I've got the gray hairs to prove it. I've seen plenty of it uh, through the course of the uh, of the Brian Kelly era. May it rest in peace. But um, 
Yeah, like that that's that sort of stuff has just got to be mind-boggling sometimes to watch not just as a fan but as as a reporter who who's you know who has to study this stuff. Yeah, it, it's it's um I mean the, the thing too is we were talking about it in the press box. We're talking about okay, you know, he's this is what they're doing. They're trying to ice this game. Um and they're just kind of they're going conservative, and and this and they made the same mistake last year against Washington. So this is just something they do, um, and it's you know I asked Shaw about it after the game. He completely defended it, and it's his philosophy. And it's like okay, great, but like when your defense can't really be trusted right now, maybe you know maybe approach things a little bit differently. He's, sometimes he runs his offense as though he has an elite defense on his side and he doesn't have that right now. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's kind of where we're at. Yeah. Uh, it, it seems like the offense is basically all Tanner McKee. Uh, and he had a fine game against Oregon state 20 for 30, uh, three, uh, 20 for 33, 269 yards, two touchdowns. Uh, you know, didn't look like he had control of, of things that he could control anyway. Um, but like they need more on offense too. You know, like like you said, they need that elite running back too. So, uh, you know, I don't I don't know I don't know what you what you do against against a Notre Dame defense that that has really been playing well all season. Yeah, I mean, as you said, I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, one thing that that hurts them a little bit is the guy who they thought could be their star running back, EJ Smith, is out mm-hmm. for the year. Yeah. Um, with uh, uh, I was told. I was told collarbone and broken shoulder was what I was told that would need surgery. But uh, pictures on Insta- on social media show him in a knee brace. So it looks like there was also some knee operation as well wow. on top of all that. So, um, uh, but that, but that, that, that can't be an excuse. So they, you know, yeah. they're running back. Casey Falcons is, is very good. He's not, you know, elite, but he's good. Um, and then, you know, McKee has some, they do have. I, I will say this: they got some. They got some pretty talented receivers. Uh, Bryson Tremaine had a couple touchdowns against Oregon State. Mm-hmm. Um, he's explosive. Um, Elijah Higgins is explosive. Tight end Benjamin Urosic, you know, is explosive. Um, and those guys have been more quiet, uh, particularly Urosic and Higgins, than they ought to be this year so far. Um, so McKee's got the weapons offensively to get things going. Um, a bigger problem for them has really been the offensive line. They've been kind of playing musical chairs with different offensive guys coming in and out. That sounds um, familiar. That's been a problem. And then probably their top offensive lineman coming into the season, Branson Bragg, uh, medically retired uh, without playing a game True. due to concussions and whatnot. So that, that didn't help. So offensive line's been the big problem offensively. And they've also you'll you'll see them do this on Saturday um, against the. I'm not sure how much they'll do this, but they'll do some of this the slow mesh offense um, where he kind of took a delayed handoff kind of thing. You're not sure if he's going to hand it off or not, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, they they've been working that, um, and that they had some issues with that early on, but it did look like. And Oregon State's got a good D, so I, I think the fact that they look better against Oregon State's defense shows that they're. Figuring this out better, but uh, you know, uh, there there were also some issues with implementing that slow mesh. Um, and when the offensive line is is you know not up to snuff, that makes that really hard. So, um, yeah, Tanner Key is what makes the offense go. But as you said, it can't be all him, and he does have some weapons around him to make stuff happen. But it's about those guys stepping up and then the right plays being called to allow those guys to shine. Do you think David Shaw's on the hot seat at all? Like. Is it, mm. Does there have to be any sort of signs of life, uh, as as you know, maybe even you know, four win season would be considered you know a success or a five win season even, you know, like is is, is that what we're to or is is the David Shaw train just going to keep on rolling? Yeah, so that's a great question. I get I get asked this on every radio show I'm on um, <laughs> for good reason. For good for good reason. Um, so I, I've been well versed in how to answer this question. Um, and it changes a little bit week to week because the more they lose, the more I think the seat has to heat up at least a little bit, right? Um, right. 
yeah, I'll say this. I think, um, I'll say if, if they were to, which I don't think will happen, but it's, you never know. Um, if, if they were to go one and 11 or two and 10, something like that, uh, I think even three and nine, I think it would be really hard to justify bringing him back. Um, just particularly one and 11 or two and 10. It's just like, yeah. I mean, you can't like lose all your, all your FBS games or only win one and keep your job. Right. It, right. It, you know, I mean, so I think if that happens, I think it's going to be really hard to justify bringing him back. But, I mean, I will say this, though. Stanford administration, from what I can tell, and the Stanford community, and the, uh, you know, the regents and those people, and the, and the AD and the president, I mean, they all just love the guy. I mean, he's the winningest coach in their history. Yeah. He's done so much there, you know, um, that they really don't want to part ways with him. And he knows the school so well. He's so integrated with it that, um, it would have to take something like that for them to pull the plug. So to answer your question and, and what you were saying, I think you're right that I think if they could get to four wins, four to five wins, I think um, I think he's safe. Um, if they get to four to five wins, I think he's safe. And I think if you look at their schedule, I think there's still wins to be had mm-hmm. um, where I think it's possible to get to four to five wins. I, I used to cover Cal basketball for rivals before i covered stanford and there was a cal basketball team i covered uh, second year of Viking jones's year where they started off 0 and 15 and everyone's in league and everyone thought okay they're gonna go on the table go winless and they heated up at the end to walk through and won three straight games finished three and 15 um and they still fired him at the end of the season but he hadn't built up the goodwill that david shaw had so right. uh it's not really really a comparison there but the point is i've seen bad teams figure it out at the end. And so I could easily see the Stanford team rallying off three out of four in November or something like that and keeping his job. But, um, but, but that all stated, I, I think that even if they were to do that and he stays on, I, I think there's going to be pressure from football alums um, and some other people to, to at least like make a change with some coaches and whether or not he'll do that, we'll see. But, uh, yeah, I think for the first time, I'll say this, I think for the first time in his career, I think the state is heating up, and I think the coaching staff knows that their jobs potentially are on the line, and that's something that they haven't been faced with before. Yeah, I mean, it's, he's got a 94-49 and 49 record. You don't get there. You don't get, you know, 94 wins at Stanford, you know, in, in the number of games that you coach. Uh by being a bad coach, you don't luck into that. You've got to you've got to have something going on, but it it's clearly just not working anymore at Stanford. Yeah, and it's I think it's a complacency thing to a degree. You know, I think they, you know, they had a lot of things going well for them, and and, and there were some changes that you know they they it probably should have made a little earlier than they have, and and now they're. They're seeing, they're reaping the reward of that. Um, but yeah, as you said, you don't you don't get that record without doing some things really well. Um, and yeah, he inherited a good situation from 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 Harbaugh, but mm. he kept that train going for a while. Yeah. So I, I think I think that's why there's people at the top are hoping he can figure this out and thinking he might be able to. But you know, past performance can't be a guarantee of future job security if the present is not good. So. Right. It's definitely interesting times for sure in that sense. Yeah, it's, you know, like I said, he's been there long enough to where he was able to turn it into his program and find success, you know, still be successful. Uh, you know, I mean, they they won their division, what, five years ago? You know, that was clearly his his work already, you know? So, you know, hope, hopefully he can because he seems like a good good enough guy. But, I mean, at some point, you just got to say enough is enough. Yeah, that's the thing, right? I mean, he he represents so much good for Stanford, yeah. right? The alum part, uh, you know. Um, I think he genuinely loves Stanford, right? Um, he understands the school so well, and it's not an easy job. And it's a job where, you know, it's a different. Stanford's a different kind of job from anywhere else in the country. And if you have a guy who has really lived and breathed Stanford his whole life, I mean. Ideally, you keep that guy on board, but uh, but you know, at some point, 
you know, all those good qualities can't erase or can't outweigh the results that are happening on the field. So, uh, one more question and I'll get you out of here with all the changes that are going to be happening, uh, in the pac 12 with, you know, USC and UCLA leaving and who know you know, who knows if, if, if that's just it, you know, they just, they're just able to maybe even add a couple of smaller schools to the mix to, to kind of, you know, coalesce things, uh, pretty nicely. Um, where do you see the pac 12 going? Where do I see the Pac-12 going? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's a great question. Um, I, I, think, I think they're in trouble, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody knows that. But I don't think they're dead. Um, there are some options. There are some schools that could uh, save them or at least give them a bit of a boost. I mean, first of all, one thing, one, one thing is, is we got to see what happens at UCLA. They've agreed to go, but they agreed. Their AD made that decision without getting prior approval from the, the UC regents. Whoops. The UC president. So they kind of, UCLA pulled that move without getting the, the full go from their, wow. their higher ups. Their AD <laughs> just kind of did it. Um, yeah. So, so you know, there's a, there's an outside chance that UCLA could could, <laughs> could get pulled back into the pack. So the, that they, you know, we'll, so we'll see what happens there. But assuming that UCLA does go, um, there are some schools, there are some options that that the Pac-12 can look to. But the one school out there that I think is just absolute like no brainer for them to add is San Diego State. Mm-hmm. Um, that would give them a, that would give them a, a SoCal presence again. They have a they built a really nice new football stadium yeah. um, and they've been very competitive in football and men's basketball over the years um more competitive actually than than some pac-12 teams have been so yeah. i think san diego state is a no-brainer i don't know where they go outside of them um there's but but you know i mean but you know they could also just add san diego state and not add anybody else to make it 11 um or they could you know but there's other options they could they could try a boise state they could try an smu they could try they, they could also try to lure away BYU from the Big 12 because they have a natural rivalry with Utah. So there's some options there. Um, but I think it starts with them giving San Diego State an invite and then figuring out from there who else they want to pair with them, if anybody. But Because um, I guess you added San Diego State, you know, yeah, it's not UCLA, it's not USC. Those are, you know, but um, that's still a thought outside of that program. And, and to kind of tie this back into Stanford a little bit, if you just kind of look at, like, most viable Pac-12 programs. Um, in terms of like winningest Pac-12 programs across the board, across multiple sports, it's been Stanford. Yeah, um, They've been the winningest program. And so as long as they can kind of keep Stanford and Cal, really Stanford in the fold and Cal paired with them, uh, the Pac-12, I think, can, can, can press forward. Um, I, I wrote a piece about this a few months ago, arguing that Stanford might actually be the most important Pac-12 program because they're just their all-around success they've had. And also their academic clout. So there is a path for them to, to stay relevant and to stay alive. I don't, the ESPNs and stuff like those late night windows and that could keep them alive. Um, but it starts to figure out who to replace with UCLA and USC. And I think, I, I don't know why they haven't already sent an invite to San Diego state because they're just, it's no brainer fit for them at this point. So we'll see. Um, but yeah, those, those just kind of, those are kind of my thoughts there on that. Okay. I was uh, I was also wondering how does a uh, a UC Berkeley grad wind up writing about Stanford? <laughs> uh, that's a great question. Um, so I'll give you the I'll give you the, it's a long story, but I'll give you the short answer quickly. So okay. when I was a student at UC Berkeley, um, which by the way, even though I cover Stanford, I still love my alma mater. I love it. Sure, uh, love my love my time at Cal. Uh, I did philosophy there. Um, and when I was a student there, I used to come home the weekend. Um, and cause I was, I was close enough to Berkeley that I could come home on the weekends and chill family and kind of relax a little bit mm-hmm. and do laundry and things of that nature. And, um, and I'm, I'm a member of the church of Jesus Christ, the Latter-day Saints. Okay. And the closest young single adult Latter-day Saint, uh, church to my house was the one that met at Stanford. Just happened to be that. So while I was a student at UC Berkeley, I was going to church at Stanford on the weekend. And I kind of got integrated with the Stanford community that way. 
Um, and then they have a lot of, uh, they've had a lot of LDS football players over the years. Hmm. So while I was there, I got to know guys like Dallas Lloyd and Smith Fahoko and Lane Veach and Gabe Reed and these guys that were members of the church on the team. And so that kind of helped me establish a relationship with Stanford and also some of the football players. Um, and so that kind of gave me an end to Stanford. Um, and so when, uh, uh, Rivals was looking for a new Stanford publisher. Um, just my connections there, my experience with Stanford um, made me a candidate they wanted to first look at. And I looked and know that I had these connections. And uh, so when that opened up, I was like, yeah, let's go for it. I like the Stanford community as well. Um, and also uh, more pay and a lot closer drive. It's like a 20 minute drive to Stanford from where I live versus an hour to Berkeley. So um, <laughs> that part made an easy decision as well. But I, I will say that some, some Cal fans were, were a little surprised and had a hard time accepting that, but it's, it's a business. So yeah, exactly. You, you gotta go where the, uh, <laughs> you gotta go where the rent check comes in. So I, yeah, I, I totally and that's understand that. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, anyway, Ben Parker from, uh, from cardinalsports.com or uh, cardinalsportsreport.com. Uh, that's where you can find all his stuff, find out, you know, all his views on Stanford football, basketball, pretty much all of Stanford sports and uh, the Pac-12 as well. Uh, ben, I appreciate the time, man. Likewise, Jim. Thank you so much. Thank you. We'll be right back. Wrap things up. Get you some betting numbers, things like that. Talk, uh, you know, the lines. All that stuff coming up. Leprechaun Lunch, powered by First State Bank. Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Sports Radio 960 AM WSBT. Leprechaun Lunch, powered by First State Bank, locally owned and operated. Also brought to you in part by South Bend Orthopedics, team, phys- team physicians for the University of Notre Dame since 1949. And by Legacy Heating and Air, a Cook family business. On BetMGM, Irish are a 17-point favorite tomorrow against Stanford the uh, the point total sitting at uh, sitting at 54 and a half uh, for tomorrow so uh, yeah bet bet accordingly some other games that I think you should pay attention to as far as uh, as far as the college game goes got four of them for you Kansas at Oklahoma noon kick on uh, I, I Actually, I don't even know where, but noon kick. <laughs> I don't understand. I don't understand how how Kansas is a nine point underdog on this. I know they're on the road. I know they're going to Norman, but isn't this still the same Oklahoma team that's given up an average of almost forty nine points per game in three conference games? Kansas might be without uh, Jalen Daniels, their quarterback. Jason Bean, though, did a pretty good job in his absence last week. 38-31 loss to TCU. There's a real short list right now. Real short list of of Big 12 teams that Oklahoma could be favored over at the moment. And Kansas should not be one of them. Kansas plus nine. Alabama at Tennessee. That's the the CBS uh, SEC game tomorrow at 3.30. Uh, top 10 matchup between Alabama and Tennessee. Been a while since we had that, you know? Not going to lie. That's probably going to be pretty electric. <laughs> probably going to be pretty electric. Vols are looking good. The Heisman Trophy race might already be decided. We might be gift wrapping it almost to, uh, to CJ Stroud of Ohio State. Hendon Hooker, though, he is the truth, man. Like, just watch that game just for him. You'll see, you know, hey, maybe we should change our votes here. Anyway, if Bryce Young sits this one out for the Tide, I think I think the number's going to drop a little bit. Alabama, by the way, seven and a half point favorite in this game on the road. That's the first time in quite a while, I believe, that, uh, that they've been, you know, 
not at least a 10-point favorite over someone. Texas or uh, Tennessee is better than both Texas and Texas A&M. And to be perfectly honest, both of those teams probably should have beat Alabama. I like Tennessee in the points. Tennessee plus seven and a half as the underdog. Clemson at Florida State. Future opponent, by the way, for Notre Dame in Clemson. Uh, it, it's That's a three and a half point game. I wouldn't take the points on that. I, I, I'd kind of stay away from the spread on that game, to be perfectly honest. But I also don't think that Clemson's going to lose. Knowles leading rusher Treshawn Ward. 72 carries, 488 yards, three touchdowns. He's in doubt due to injury. Uh, the Tigers' excellent defense should uh, get uh, Brian Breesey back after he's missed the past two games with a kidney infection. They're also getting a couple of guys back in the secondary, so I like Clemson straight up in that game. And then finally, USC at Utah, an 8 o'clock kickoff on that game. Utah defense got torched by UCLA last week. Which is probably why we're panicking as far as the uh, as far as the total goes. Sixty-five. Utes though, they, they got beat at their own game. They didn't own the trenches. I think that's going to be a little bit easier to do against the, the Trojans. Lincoln Riley's team going to continue to be op- opportunistic, limits scoring chances. So I like under sixty-five for USC at Utah. All right. All right. I will see you tomorrow with game day. Greenies next. Sports Radio 960 WSBT, South Bend. Hey, everyone. Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering, char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. 